Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning. In honor of all of the final exams that are taking a place that are taking place across our city and across the nation, uh, we're going to take a little final exam this morning ourselves. Don't worry, it's not graded. Uh, it's just Bible trivia. Uh, so uh, all of you Enneagram fives, this is your time to shine. Okay, here we go. Um, Also, I should say, uh, if you are new to Christianity, um, uh, bear with me. Uh, Sorry, I apologize. It's going to get better uh, after this little mini Bible bowl. Um, Okay, uh, so this is what's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to read a question, uh, and then as soon as I am done reading the question, you can't answer before then, but once I'm done reading the question, you can just shout out your answer, Okay. You're welcome to like raise your hand if you want to. I'm not going to call on you. Um, but you can just shout out your answer. Um, uh, also, uh, if you get it right, uh, Zane Witcher has agreed uh, to pay for, out of his own pocket, $200 gift cards to Perry's Steakhouse for every correct answer. Um, so, uh, we ready? Okay, okay, good. Um, okay, uh, number one. Uh, okay, so this was the text from a couple weeks ago, so, so you, should, you should get this. Um, okay, one of Jesus' disciples said that he would not believe that Jesus was resurrected uh, unless he touched the scars that were on Jesus' uh, hands and, and feet uh, and, and on his side. Uh, what is that disciple's name? Man, y'all are so good. Y'all are so good. Man, Zane's got to give a lot of gift cards out because <laughs> it was a tie between like 20 of y'all. Okay, okay, number two is, is a little bit tougher, but I'm, I'm confident. We, we've got some people who know their Bibles in here, so, so I think we can get this one, okay? Uh, this one is a fill in the blank. So it comes from James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verse 13, okay? Uh, which says that God does not what to sin. God does not blank to sin. What does God not do? Anyone? What? Tempt? There it is. Okay, good, 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 good. God does not tempt to sin. Well done, Terry. That's a, it was a tough one. Okay, um, number three. <laughs> number three. I think y'all will get this one. This one's a little, a little bit more, um, uh, well, well known. Okay, so in Exodus chapter 16, Uh, The Israelites are in the wilderness, and God sends food to them in the wilderness. What is that food called? So many gift cards. I'm so excited. This is good. Great. Good good job. Manna. Okay. Okay. Number four actually has nothing to do with the Bible. Uh, It's actually an English grammar question. Um, uh, So your goal is to beat Taylor Mayfield, everyone. (laughs) Um, Okay. So... 
Uh, there are more than two of these, but I just would like y'all to list two English first-person plural pronouns. First-person plural pronouns. We and us? Well done, Ken. Any others? <laughs> that was not one I had on uh, my list, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's second person. Uh, but, but nonetheless, great, great answer. Was that you, Ted? Uh, lovely. Great job. Okay, good. So yes, we, us, our, um, these are all first person plural pronouns. Uh, in English. Okay, uh, good, good. Uh, 100s for all. Uh, we've got to keep moving. Uh, these questions will make more sense uh, as we move forward today. Uh, by the way, if you didn't catch that the whole gift card thing was a joke, this is me clarifying that it was a joke. Sorry, uh, build up your treasures in heaven. I don't know. Um, <laughs> once again, uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Michael Waldrop. I am the student minister here. Uh, and we have been in the middle of a series called First Importance, uh, in which we have been celebrating what Christians have been celebrating since that first Easter, uh, that Jesus uh, lived, he died, uh, he was buried, uh, but then God raised him to life again. Uh, and because God raised Jesus uh, to life again, we have been given a number of different promises. Uh, and Zane has been looking at uh, a number of different one of those throughout this, this series. Uh, and this morning, I am going to be looking uh, at one of those as well. And that is uh, the promise of connection, the promise of connection. Our passage this morning uh, is Matthew 6, 9 through 13. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, I encourage you to go ahead and uh, turn there. Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. Uh, it is right before Mark and Luke. So if you find yourself in Mark and Luke, you've gone a little bit too far. Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 13. Once you make it there, or if you are already there, uh, you will see that our passage for this morning is the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer. And I'll just go ahead and tell you that my goal for this sermon is that you would become enamored with this little prayer that Jesus hands over to us. For, mu for much of my life, I liked this prayer just fine. I thought it flowed nicely, but it really wasn't all that special to me. I was just like, yeah, it's, it's fine. I give it like a six out of 10. It's sure. Um, but over the past few years, I I've come to see that this prayer has so much depth to it. So much depth to it. Um, so much so that uh, I've come to see uh, that uh, it is, as one of my mentors, Mac Matthews, said, I think a well that never runs dry. A well that never runs dry. And so this morning, I want to drink from that well. This prayer comes in the middle of Jesus' uh, most famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount. And just in the, the context of this sermon, Jesus has gone up on to a hillside and sat down, and he has begun to teach his disciples, who are most, uh, the most immediate group of people right around him, and then beyond them is a larger crowd of people. And it's into that context that Jesus speaks this prayer. 
Uh, so this is what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to just read through this prayer once really quickly. It's not super long. I'm going to go all the way through, uh, and then uh, I'll come back, and I'm just going to work through it bit by bit, and, and hopefully we can see some of the depth uh, that I think is there. Uh, last thing before I read, um, uh, just uh, through the trivia that we did just a little while ago, uh, there's actually some little hints uh, of the depth that I think is in this prayer, and so see if you can see where some of those trivia questions uh, might fit in. Okay. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, at this point, uh, some of you might be thinking, uh, Michael, you forgot a line. Uh, namely, the line, uh, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Uh, but the reason I did not say that line uh, is if you have your Bible open to Matthew 6, except for maybe a couple of you, uh, I think you will notice uh, that that line is not there, actually. Uh, and the reason for that is, is very, very few of our modern translations actually include that line. Uh, because our earliest manuscripts of the book of Matthew don't have that line. Uh, in short, we, we could go into longer discussion, but in short, in all likelihood, uh, that line was an addition that had its origins in just in ancient Christian worship. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I love that line. I think it's completely true. Uh, so if you want to pray it, pray it. I think it's great. Um, I just don't think it was originally in the book of Matthew. Okay. With that little clarifier, let's move on and dive into this prayer. The first word of this prayer should stop us in our tracks. Because the first word of this prayer is a first-person plural pronoun. I know y'all are so excited about that. The first word of this prayer is our. Our Father. This is how Jesus begins this prayer. Our Father, not my Father, but our Father. We are never alone when we pray this prayer. We don't cry out alone. We cry out in a choir of voices. Because of this, whenever I pray this prayer, I like to imagine that I'm holding hands with a believer on both sides of me. And because... Uh, the book of Hebrews say, says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I just let my imagination kind of roam space and time. And so perhaps on my left is a Christian woman from Zimbabwe. And on my right is my great-grandfather, Fred Caffey. Perhaps a young urban teenager in Japan. Perhaps a single mother in Brazil. Perhaps my brother, St. Augustine, my sister, Mother Teresa. Perhaps the Apostle Peter, or perhaps Jesus' friend Martha. Perhaps one of you. But whoever it is, I know that I never pray this prayer alone. I know that like literally today, millions of believers will use these words to call out to our Father. 
So, our is the first word of this prayer. And as I've already said, the second word of this prayer is Father. Father. If you know your Old Testament, then you know uh, that parent-child language is all throughout the Old Testament and, and is very much a way that uh, God uh, defines his relationship with the people of Israel. Uh, God is constantly referring to uh, the Israelites uh, as his child, such as in Exodus 4 when he calls Israel his firstborn son. And now here at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus picks up that language, picks up that language and makes use of it. And in doing so, he reminds us that our God is not a God who is far off or distant or cold. Our God is a God who is close and warm and concerned about you and me on an individual basis. Our God is a father. However, I know that perhaps for some of you, this this word or idea of of father is, is one that is really painful for you. Perhaps your biological father was anything but close or warm or, or concerned about you. And for that reason, I'm, I'm tempted to say, well, just use another word. Like, just forget this concept altogether. But in, in fact, I, I'd rather invite you to let God redeem that word, that idea of father. Because it, I, in no me, by no means do I want to make light of the pain that you might feel from, from that from that word, from that idea, from that relationship. But I also don't want you to miss out on all the goodness that comes with experiencing our God as a good and faithful and loving Father. So, our Father. All right, two words down, 50 to go. We'll be here until dinner. Everybody good with that? Awesome. Promise I'll move quicker. (laughs) Okay. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is not really a word that we use super often anymore outside of like Halloween or like the Deathly Hallows from Harry Potter. Um, But uh, all hallowed means is is, uh, for something to be holy uh, or set set aside as special or in God's case, one of a kind. So to hallow someone's name is to treat it as sacred. And some of you might even see in the footnotes of your Bible that uh, some, uh, some other ways you could translate this verse uh, are, to, are, set, excuse me, are like, uh, let your name be kept holy uh, or let your name be treated with reverence. But this, this line isn't just about showing reverence for the word or like the sound wave that is God. Because God's name is really a stand-in for, for God's whole identity. And so to to hallow God's name is is really kind of gets back to this idea of seeing God rightly. When when we pray this line, it's like we're praying, God, may the world not be confused about who you are. May they they see you and understand who you are clearly. And may they recognize that there is no one else and nothing else in existence that is like you. And for that reason... Out of that recognition, they they praise and speak about you. They hallow your name appropriately. But there's one other element that praying this line does for us. Because 
to pray, hallowed be your name, means that I'm not praying, hallowed be my name. Right? To pray, hallowed be your name, is a threat to all our efforts to, as the saying goes, make a name for ourselves. It's a pushback against all our people-pleasing or all our endeavors in selfish ambition. But more broadly, to pray this line is a pushback against all of our tendencies to put something in the place, in God's place, that, that only God should occupy. Right? So it's, hallowed be your name, God. Not, hallowed be the name of Austin FC. Not, hallowed be the name of UT or Texas A&M football. Or Auburn football, fine. <laughs> not hallowed be the name of my political party. Not even hallowed be the name of my children. But hallowed be your name, God. Not because those things aren't good things. Well, most of them, children are definitely a good things. But none of those things are God. And because none of those things are God, we hallow God's name. So, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done. To pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done, is, is to pray, God, may, may your government, may your social order, May, may your way of doing things, may your life and habits and schedule and economy and justice come into existence, into this world. Yes, your kingdom come and your will be done, God. But where, Jesus? Where should God's kingdom come and will be done? Well, on earth, as it is in heaven. God, may your, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is done perfectly, uninterrupted, unhindered in heaven. I don't know if that like makes you smile. That just makes me happy to know that there is a place in existence where like God's kingdom and will like operates without hindrance. That's just, that just makes me smile. But yes. May God's kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Earth is, is really big, so, so I like to kind of dial in this line of the prayer and pray, God, may your, your kingdom come and your will be done in the United States, in Texas, in Round Rock, in Round Rock Church of Christ. May your kingdom come and your will be done in those places as it is done in heaven. What would that look like? What would that mean for God's kingdom to come and will to be done in all of those different spaces and places? But you, you might have noticed that I stopped one progression too soon because, God, may your kingdom come and your will be done in me, in us. This is kind of fitting because like to even pray like God your kingdom come your will be done on earth is fitting because after all as the famous line says uh, we are dust and to dust we shall return. We are made of earth. And so God may your kingdom come and your will be done 
in earth and on earth. But one more, one more comment here. Because notice that this prayer, again, is, is not, God, your, your kingdom come and your will be done in heaven, and please, would you just get us out of this earth as soon as you can? Please, it's terrible. Just get us out. No, following Jesus is not escapism from earth. Following Jesus is praying for and working towards the redemption of this earth. And in fact, we, we actually see this, appropriately enough, in this season of Easter. Uh, we see this in the first fruits, that uh, we see the first fruits of that redemption in Jesus' own resurrection. For, for when Jesus is resurrected, what does he have? A body. Right? He's not, he's not, as some of my students have heard me say before, he's not like a floaty ghost soul thing. Right? He, he has a body. Ask Thomas, what did he touch? Did he touch a ghost or did he touch scars on a body? Jesus is resurrected with a body. And the promise of the New Testament and this is key, is that as it is for Jesus, for Jesus still reigns in his resurrected body, as it is for Jesus, so it will be for those, uh, so it will be for his followers. And so it will be for the earth. Followers of Jesus will have resurrected bodies. If you don't believe me, go read 1 Corinthians 15. And the earth itself will be resurrected, redeemed, made new. If you don't believe me, go read Romans 8 and Revelation 22. It's good stuff. Awesome. Okay. Jesus continues. God, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Here again, those first-person plural pronouns come in handy. Because the prayer is not, give me this day, my daily bread. You know, the prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. Give all of us this day our daily bread. My Honduran brother, my Ukrainian sister, my Russian mother, my Arabian cousin, my Kenyan aunt, give all of us this day our daily bread. And I don't know about you, but that steps on my toes a little bit. Because if all my brothers and sisters are going to have their daily bread, that means that I might have to let go of some of the bread that is in my pantry. Steps on my toes a little bit. But this prayer is not just not give me this day my daily bread, but this prayer is also not Give us this day our yearly bread, or our, even our weekly bread. No, the prayer is just, God, give us this day our daily bread. Like you gave the Israelites daily bread in the form of manna in the wilderness. Day after day, one day at a time, one day at a time, relying on you for daily bread, whatever form that may take, a paycheck or bread or just a friend. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts or trespasses, if you prefer that translation. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. How have you trespassed against someone recently? How might you be in someone's debt? Have you had a moment where you lacked self-control or you said hurtful words? Or maybe you just got distracted and you annoyed someone. How have you trespassed against someone recently? Last week, Zane actually dove into this subject of forgiveness. And Zane encouraged us to seek out those who we need to ask for forgiveness. And so my question is, like, did, did you take that opportunity? Like, if that's you, like, you know, like, I need to ask someone's forgiveness. Did you take that opportunity? Well, if not, maybe this week is the week. So God, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I pray the Lord's Prayer, I have a hard time just praying that line just as it is. And I typically end up modifying it to say, God, would you please help me Forgive uh, my debtors. Would you, would you help us forgive those who have trespassed against us, who have said hurtful words, who have lacked control, who have annoyed us through their distraction? Because even though I know I'm forgiven for doing all those types of things, I have a really hard time giving out forgiveness. And so God... Help us forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. All right, last two requests. We're almost there. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This, this first request that lead us not into temptation has always been the most puzzling line for me of this prayer. Is there anybody else who identifies with that? No one? Okay. Um, thank you, Matt. <coughs> um, and the, the reason for that is that, like, I, I can't help but, like, read this line and be like, well, does this imply that, like, God could, like, lead us into temptation? Like, kind of throws my brain off. But uh, two, at least two important things here. Um, the first of which is that verse in James 1 that, that we touched on briefly earlier. Uh, James 1.13, which in full reads, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and nor does God tempt anyone. Nor does God tempt anyone. So, so it seemed very unlikely that in this line of the prayer, Jesus has in view that um, that God uh, might uh, be tempting us. But a second thing that is important here is, is that the Greek behind that English word of temptation can, can also, in addition to temptation, mean testing or trial or challenge. And so in this line of the prayer, we are actually requesting that God would keep us from the hardships of life. 
We are requesting that God would not lead us into times of trial and times of challenge or testing. Now, God will not always protect us from those trials or, or hardships, but that, that is what God prefers. God does not like to see us suffer, despite some uh, characterizations of God. But I think this also makes sense in regard to temptation, because like, let's be honest, uh, hardships tend to make us more inclined to sin. This is like kind of a trivial answer or a trivial example, but like, I mean, I can just say from personal experience, like if I'm tired and hangry, which by the way is a very important theological word, like I am so much more apt to sin than like if I've had eight hours of sleep and have just walked out of Pine House Pizza. Oh, I love Pine House Pizza. I'm just saying, right? Um, there seems to be this connection between hardship and sin. So God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or the evil one, your translation might say. We need deliverance both from the evil in the world and in ourselves, right? We, we need deliverance both from the evil that can come onto us from outside and we need deliverance from the evil that just crops up in us. And we don't like to admit it. We like to just point the finger and say all the evil is out there in the world. But if we're really honest, we know that there are some in here as well. And so because we recognize our limits, because we recognize our, our own feebleness, we cry out to God from, for protection from evil where, wherever it originates. Uh, philosopher and Christian writer uh, Dallas Willard uh, puts it this way, and I think, uh, I think he just says this so well. He says, this part of the prayer expresses the understanding that we can't stand up under very much pressure. It is a vote of no confidence in our own abilities. As the series of requests begins with the glorification of God, it ends with the acknowledgement of the feebleness of human beings. I think he's spot on, and I, I just I love that, that in a way this prayer kind of ends in a way that leads us to almost like start the prayer over again and cry out like, our Father in heaven, we need help. <laughs> we are weak. We are needy. Well, there you go. The Lord's Prayer. I hope you can begin to see why I think you should be enamored with this prayer. And there's, there's so much more to it than uh, what uh, I was able to just touch on this morning. And, and so I hope you will continue to explore it and come uh, to see that, like my mentor said, it, it really is uh, a well that never runs dry. Because I, I think if you do, I think you will find uh, that uh, if, we, if we regularly pray the Lord's Prayer, we will be more connected to our Father, more connected to one another, and more connected to the new creation to come. If we pray the Lord's Prayer regularly, we will become more connected to our Father, one another, and the new creation come. And so for that reason, my, my challenge to you this morning is, is really straightforward. Pray this prayer. Pray this prayer. Maybe it's at the foot of your bed before you go to sleep at night. 
Maybe it's in the morning as soon as your feet hit the floor coming out of bed. Maybe it's while you're brushing your teeth. Maybe it's every time you walk out of Pinehouse Pizza, which for your sake I hope is often. But pray this prayer. And I would say, like, even if you're here this morning and you, and you wouldn't identify as a Christian, I still encourage you, give this prayer a shot. You know, maybe just like one time a day for a week and just see how that goes. See what happens. Whether, whether you are a believer or not, I, I think you will find that this prayer grows in us things of first importance, gospel things, good news things. I want to close this morning uh, by praying this prayer together. Uh, so if you would, please stand and let's pray this together. Um, uh, last thing I'll say before we pray it is, is just, uh, if you feel comfortable, I, I invite you to just imagine, like, holding uh, hands on, on either side with, with Christians around the world. Uh, I thought about actually asking y'all to hold hands, but then I thought, like, all the introverts and germaphobes out there would get really mad at me. So imagination it is. <clears throat> okay. Uh, oh, also, the words will be on the screen, but just as a heads up, uh, we are going to be praying the version that has uh, debts and debtors instead of trespasses and, and those who trespass against it. Okay, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Uh, please remain standing uh, as Chris Wigington leads us in our blessing.